Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. The weight of water is over. It is all that one can do to hang on to sanity. Based on the number one best-selling novel. This is it. Two women were discovered in the kitchen, strangled and bludgeoned with an axe. She came to the island to do a story. I think the killer was in love with one of the women. So it's an act of passion. About a murder that happened long ago. And I told my sister to run, but she said she was too tired. Using an axe requires intimacy. Think about how close you have to be to your victim. Now, secrets are surfacing. I was thinking about what keeps people together. So how did you two meet? Desires are stirring. When I told her to go and to look for help. Thomas! What? She said she could not. And the truth. How did he know the women would be alone? Isn't the only thing. What's going on? What's going on with you? To fear. Something's gonna happen. From the director of K-19 Widowmaker and Strange Days... Academy Award nominee Sean Penn, Sarah Polly, Elizabeth Hurley, Catherine McCormick, and Josh Lucas. 
the weight of water. There are times in your life when you sense that something is about to happen. And at the same time, you realize it already has. Andy, um, this is, this is, again, ostensibly a story about a journalist. Yeah, it's kind of a photo journalist. <laughs> photo journalism. It's not. She's, she's this a, is not a journalist movie again. Well, I, you Damn know, it. okay. She's a magazine <laughs> photographer and she's working on a photo essay. Doesn't that count? Like, where's I, the line? You know, where's the line? I, I say it counts. I say it counts I know, more than I our quote journalist and merrily we go to hell. Yeah, that's true. But in this journalist series, I mean, this is, I expect, oh, for crying out loud. Mm. All right. So we're doing this movie. It's part of our journalist series. Uh, and it gives us an excuse to bring back uh, K. Biggs uh, for our Catherine Bigelow series, um, which, you know, is always nice to fill in those holes. And is that, I mean, that's how do we pick this movie? Because it was hard to find, Andy. I think there, I think there are exactly three copies of the DVD in circulation in the United States. I was going to say the world. <laughs> it, seems, <laughs> it seems pretty thin trying to track it down. The whole reason I'm, I'm like really like this. This whole episode is just we've just crapped the bed because like nobody can see this movie. If you haven't seen this movie, you're not seeing this movie. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> It's a, it's a, an unfortunate, tricky one to find. Uh, I guess I, I don't think it's that strange considering the film, but, <laughs> but it is one of those things where, you know, this is the sort of thing when people say, you know, it's a movie made in this century and it's still almost impossible to track down. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, that's one of the, the struggles that people have with, uh, the accessibility, which I mean, is great. There, it, there is a lot of accessibility right now, but there are still things out there that are just incredibly difficult to find, and this is one of them. This is one of them. So, favorite part of the show, Andy? What do you think? I thought of this movie. Well, I, I, I wouldn't say that you liked it. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is the part where you just get to determine how gently I'm going to approach this movie for the next hour. <laughs> Not gently, Andy. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, I think you, I, I don't think you loved it. I don't think you loved it, but I think you're going to be kinder to it than I am. Interesting. Okay. Uh, pro- maybe. All right. Let's see. Was it rated? <laughs> Did anybody care? Uh, this movie was rated R. Definitely rated R. You know, it, it's got stuff in it. Um, the rating is R because of violence, sexuality, and nudity, and brief language it is it is brief yes you do see a buttock there's a buttock and a breast yes only one of each (laughs) that's right (laughs) hey you want to watch this movie and help us out well i'm not even gonna do that sorry yep (laughs) best of luck Pick a, if you see an Apple Amazon or Amazon link to any other movie on our site, go ahead and click it, but not this one because <laughs> you won't. No, if you want to buy a, a, a DVD copy of it on Amazon for a lot of money, uh, you're more than welcome. All right, but you can't get some merch. 
Lord knows what is it going to be for this movie. An axe, for sure. Probably a skull. No, no. Uh, it, yeah, it has to involve smutty nose. There aren't enough and shirts. Smutty nose. That say, you know, <laughs> map. I'm, I'm on we my way to smutty map. nose. <laughs> You are absolutely right. If you need to find me, you can find me in Smutty Nose. Yes. You can find all of that uh, at truestory.fm slash TNR merch. Shirts, stickers, mugs, mass pillows. We don't have parchment maps yet, but maybe we can talk to T-Public about getting started with their with their official <laughs> official maps of Smutty Nose. The parchment map line. Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, we are uh, featuring audio reviews from our dear listeners. Send us your 30-second audio review to reviews at truestory.fm. Once you watch the film, you just might end up on the show. You got to get them in quick, though. We generally are recording about two weeks in advance. So uh, make sure you're watching those movies and then sending those reviews in with time for us to get it on the show. Again, it's reviews at truestory.fm. And if you're wondering where you can see what movies we're talking about in the coming weeks for the rest of the season, find our entire series rundown on our Letterboxd HQ page. While you're there, sign up for a pro or patron membership with a discount code NEXTREEL, or just visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxd, and you'll be able to get 20% off. This works for renewals as well. If you're looking for ways to support the show, uh, you know, it is it is a new year, and you know maybe one of your resolutions is to kind of help these independent podcasts out uh well we'd love it if you consider becoming a member we are uh you can just go to our website uh thenextreel.com we use patreon's memberful platform so it's built right into our own site just go to thenextreel.com and uh, click on the membership link and you can learn more members get early access to every episode they also get so many bonus episodes uh oh there's just a lot of bonus episodes plus we do a member bonus episode that fills a gap from one of our series and our uh, uh, series-long retake episode where we summarize, talk about, uh, hash out the series that we just finished. And don't forget the monthly flick chart re-ranking episode uh, where we go head-to-head and discover repeatedly, repeatedly, how much of a cheater Andy is thanks to internet delay. Pete likes to call me out, but I like to say I'm the gentleman of the group. I don't call him out when he's doing his cheating. I just shake my I don't head. Cheat. That's because I don't cheat because you have uh-huh. nothing. Uh-huh. You have nothing. Uh-huh. You have nothing. Uh, he wishes. Anyway, uh, yeah, we have all these great things. And, uh, you know, to become a member, as I said, just go to truestory.fm slash TNR membership. The most it'll cost you is $5 per month or $55 per year. All right, Andy, let's talk about The Weight of the Water. How heavy is it? There aren't enough movies about the attributes of water. We have The Weight of Water and we have The Shape of Water. <laughs> shape of Water, yes. What else? Yeah. I mean, are we missing, like, what's the, the taste of water? The taste the of water, the smell of water, water the, the scent of water. water. Is yeah. that, that is like a, that is an absolute lock for a Nancy Myers movie, the scent of water. Yeah. Who would do the taste of water? I feel like that's Pedro Almodovar. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's right. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, then we have the, right. color, the color of water. The color of water. Well, that's an Oprah Win- Winfrey production for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler Perry's The Color of Water. Tyler Produced Perry's The Color Winfrey. of Water starring 
<laughs> starring and produced by Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> yeah. And, I love and this. of course, Mahershala Ali will be in it twice. That's right. I, uh, I, I, I think we need to talk to these people and get this, the, the, the water attributes franchise off, of, off the ground. Blot, blots in the chat room. <laughs> the sound of water, but it's just ASMR. <laughs> you can already find that on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, that's the right. touch that's of water. Right. That's right. The touch of water. Oh, yeah. God. Um, yeah. So this movie has water, takes place on an island. They're all going to I feel like we need to sort of summarize what's going on in the movie. Yeah, and, there's, uh, there's, because nobody's going to watch it. There's two parts to the movie. Um, the present day part of the and, well, we should say it is based on a book that was generally rated fairly high. It was a very popular book, yeah. uh, you know, that came out. Did you in, read it? I did. Did you check it out? Uh, by Anita Shreve. By, uh, Anita Shreve. Yeah, it yeah. came out in 97. Um, it's it the it, I mean, there's a present day story about Jean Janes. She's a magazine photographer working on a photo essay about some real murders. Uh, these are, in fact, real murders that happened in 1873 on Smutty Nose Island, everybody's favorite stop on their way to New Hampshire. Um, so uh, but anyway, Jean and her husband are going to the island to do some research and to get there um, there. They her husband's brother happens to have a boat. Uh, so he's the one who's taking them over to the island to do this research. And he brings along his girlfriend, Adeline, who may or may not have had an affair or is even having an affair with uh, Jean's husband, Thomas. <laughs> Very mysterious. Uh, so there's a lot of like relationship drama going on in the present day. But we have a lot of flashbacks because as Gene is doing this research on Smutty Nose Island, everybody's favorite stop on their way to New Hampshire, <laughs> they uh, she starts uh, she she's finding more material about uh, it. Basically, it was it was three sisters were attacked, two of them were killed, one of them survived by hiding in a sea cave until dawn. Um, the uh, well, it was it was two sisters and a sister in law, and um, the one woman who survived says that it was that German Louis Wagner who was staying at our house. He done it, and um, so he gets tried and hanged, and uh, and that's kind of the end of it. But as Jean is doing this research, she starts thinking, "Oh, you know, there's a lot of evidence that maybe he didn't do it, and maybe it was one of the survive. Maybe it was the survivor. Maybe she's the one who actually did it." And uh, and that's kind of the story. We get this parallel journey of two sets of relationships in time, um, and and kind of like building to their their kind of culminating climaxes. As we, uh, as kind of the tensions of the relationships peak, that's really kind of where it goes. So, yeah, I don't know. What'd you think? God, this this was such a painful watch for me. It was yeah. So not worth the wait and the trouble uh, of actually securing the movie. First, I don't think the split narrative works at all. Like I found myself just stay in the present and do make a research movie. And if you need to do little flashbacks, fine. But the the weight that they put on what amounted to me effectively like oh it's let's go like a a college production of um you know a, a period film and it 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 was just i just couldn't take it seriously any of it even the the murder parts uh i, I just couldn't take it seriously it felt like i was watching something that was lampooning itself i did not 
care for any of the of the period stuff. Not even a little bit. I was just looking at my watch. I was looking at my phone, like whatever I could do to get out of the of the back in timey stuff. Uh, I think this movie needed to pick a lane. If it was going to be a back in timey movie, let's make a back in timey movie and not jump back and forth. The the whole the whole there's chocolate in my peanut butter kind of angle of merging these two stories did not work all the way to the very end when I did not. I just did. I was it was forehead slappingly silly when the at the climax of the movie uh when the the two women you know cross time underwater and i i don't i just uh, if if i had cared at all it was because of the weight of the water (laughs) oh it was so heavy it was the pressure of water allows them to transcend time how stupid is that it was stupid the book was celebrated, I think, because of the way that Anita found to connect these two stories and to find this this sense of this um, tension between the two, the un, kind of the the unspoken emotions coming up on both sides, and how all of that kind of um, climaxes, peaks, you know, and I just felt like the film had no surprise no there was nothing in it that was engaging and it was very peculiar because i mean i i like catherine bigelow a lot and we've talked about a lot of her films um over the over the seasons uh, on this podcast Mm -hmm. and so i i was you know it was it was one of those things that as i'm watching um, our, our protagonist, Jean Janes, played by Catherine McCormick, talking about this case that had happened on Smutty Nose Island, everybody's favorite stop on their way to New Hampshire. <laughs> She's like, I, I don't think that he did it. I don't think that that this um, Lewis person did it. I think it was one of the girls. And it's like, OK, well, duh. And now there's no mystery to the story because it's like. It, I mean, everybody's like, oh, Lewis did it. Lewis did it. Lewis did it. And it's like, well, it's a really boring story if Lewis did it. So, sure, it was the, it was the sister. And I yeah. mean, OK, there's an interesting element about this backstory that Marin had about having um, kind of had had an incestuous relationship with her brother who eventually comes with his new wife and nobody's talking about it. But that's one of the reasons that this character um, kind of. You know, she's so upset and broken about kind of everything that she ends up killing her sister and her sister-in-law. It's kind of interesting. It's not carried off in a way where I ever felt there was any surprise at all. And that was what was really, for me, surprising because I'm like, this is Catherine Bigelow. This is something that I I would expect some sense of um, some mystery. But it's just like once once, uh, Gene put it out there it's like okay well now we just have to wait for this to happen and then intercutting it between the present day story which i i definitely found to be a complete snooze because it's just like god could i mean you know elizabeth hurley she's gorgeous but could she play any sluttier and it's like (laughs) she's a caricature from frame one i know and gene is just like watching like and i'm like geez i mean it was it was a real surprise to me that the film just was so on the nose with everything that 
like there was no engagement and no surprise at all. And, you know, when we get to the big climax in the water, I'm just like, okay, well, uh, I don't really care if anybody dies here, you know, whatever. The whole boat could go down and I just wouldn't care, you know? You know, um, and it's funny, like Sarah Polly uh, in in the old timey stuff, I, I really like Sarah Polly in general. Like, I, I think she actually oh, yeah. has a, a strong bent for playing like victimized characters, wounded characters. And uh, I and so I I find her enormously charismatic. Why in this movie is she cardboard? Cardboard. Every uh, like this is I this is story and direction to me. I think that's that's where this because we absolutely have evidence that people in this movie are extraordinary performers. I think they're extraordinary performers, and they come together and make wood. They I <laughs> it it was just. Would I, I found the the big climax in the old timey thing right the the big uh, reveal that the older sister has discovered the two younger sisters lying in bed together and yeah there was like a hint of weirdness of course there was tr- there was the the discovery that she had lain with her brother um, which was like. Uh, I don't know. It felt like it should have been a bigger part of the story. (laughs) Felt like like it was sort of uh, relegated to the dark corner of the old timey storyline. And um, and and maybe the the main storyline people weren't talking about what was actually going on in the in in the old timey days (laughs) enough. but the the when it all exploded in the third act and the 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 big murder scene uh, happened, I thought, what really? Would they really resort to this kind of mechanical uh, violence? It was like such an unearned scene, like such an unearned scene when Polly stands up in bed and, and goes after her sister with the chair. I The look on her face was animatronic. She was an animatronic robot. She was a robot person. That's what Catherine Bigelow did. She made Sarah Polly into a robot person. Yeah, it was it was a peculiar turn because it's like okay there's there's i i guess the story that they're playing with is you know she is one of those people there's there's something that's a little broken in her because she clearly doesn't see anything wrong with uh sleeping with her brother but then all of a sudden to go from like she's the one who's kind of the embarrassment in the family and she's kind of carrying that shame and forced into this marriage because of all of that but then all of a sudden in this moment to just like Switch, switch is flipped. Now I'm going to, you know, hit you with the chair. Now I'm going to get the axe. Yeah. Now I'm going to drive it into your head and like all the stuff. Now like, a where, murder bride. Yeah. yeah it's like where, the murder bride of Smutty Nose. Who are, yeah. <laughs> smutty Nose. Everybody's favorite <laughs> stuff on their way to New Hampshire. It's, uh, it was a baffling, baffling film. And I, I just, I was so surprised that, that it just, it, it like, I don't know. I found it clunky. From the get-go, like nothing about it. And, and it's, it is so frustrating because, yeah, these characters, I mean, Sarah Polly, she is great. Uh, Sean Penn, I generally always enjoy uh, Sean Penn. And Josh Lucas is fun to watch. Uh, Catherine McCormick, she's not in as much that that I've seen. But when, she, when I do see her, I like her. And Elizabeth Hurley, I just generally think of as um, kind of just more of a fun actress. It, when, when I see her and things, she just doesn't act a whole lot. Um, usually my brain just goes to, you know, the days when she was with Hugh Grant. And so, I don't know, it just, it's one of those things where 
eh, like everything about it just and, and I, I never remember how to say his name. Siren Hines? Siren? Is that how I, you say it? I think so. I had, yeah. And I was wondering that, too. I was hoping you would get it right. I I don't know. Siren, Karen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, and he's like right now I'm uh, getting major award buzz for his performance in Belfast. And so, yeah, I know. Right. He is a great performer. Like he's done some amazing films. Um, and then there's this. You want to go see weird old Richard Donat? Go watch Haven. Don't watch this movie. He was, he was in this movie as like the the barrister and uh, uh, didn't care for it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, are we done? <laughs> this movie weirdly comes out between Strange Days and K-19, The Widowmaker. So it was five years after Strange Days and two years before The Widowmaker. And she had written Undertow uh, shortly after Strange Days. So that was a, a project that she had worked on. It wasn't a directorial thing, but there was another project between Strange Days and this. Do you know how she ended up with this movie? I don't. This is one of those where I was kind of like hoping I could find more in like her bio or something about like how this landed in her lap. I don't know if she had read the book and wanted to get it made. Uh, you know, Wikipedia is very light on information from uh, for her. It, it, I mean, it really has next to nothing. Um, so I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I'm not. I. I I wish that I had found more information about her uh, connection to it. I, and maybe it's one of those things where because it was not received well, uh, she just doesn't talk about it much anymore. Yeah, weird. Well, what did you think of the cinematography? Adrian Biddle is, is behind the camera. And this is a thing that that had me. It teased me uh, from from the jump because I actually find the modern stuff on the boat uh I, I in the early pieces of the movie, I actually found it quite lovely. I, I I really liked the way it it was shot early on, and I just I just don't think the story lived up to what was possible. There were some also really interesting ways they they did. You know, in terms of if you buy into the jumping back and forth with time thing, I, I think the mechanic they used in editing uh, between editing and camera to actually move us back and forth through time and insinuate sometimes way too heavy handedly, but at least insinuate that they were going to try and merge these stories at some point. Uh, so mechanically, I I found there were some things to appreciate in the way it was shot. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like the way it was shot. I like the the kind of the separation in the different tones between the two stories, just to kind of like kind of give us that that nice sense. It, it everything kind of has that. Um, it's not quite sepia sort of look for the story in in, in the past, but it does have kind of a, a a more muted tone to it. It feels a little older world, I guess. And so I guess it wasn't a surprising delineation that they chose to go with um, across these two times, but I thought it was done effectively. And, you know, Biddle, I think, is a, a fantastic uh, cinematographer who generally is doing quality work like this. And I will say all of the water work that we had, like when they're on their boat, especially when they're in the storm, I found to be incredibly effective. I mean, there are there are movies where I'm watching scenes with boats and I'm like, ah, it feels like we're on a tank. You know, it just doesn't feel like 
we're out in the environment. It doesn't quite feel as real and threatening. And I know, you know, probably from her former relationship with James Cameron that they filmed all the stuff down in the um, the 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 uh, tank studio that that Fox had built for Titanic down in Mexico, and they, and they filmed all the water stuff down there and. Um, that may be why it looks so good. Like I was just really impressed with all of the storm sequences. I'm just like it. It it works exceptionally well here. So uh, and and that's also Biddle shooting all that. Yeah, and especially at the end in the the final big storm sequence, I thought was was you know pretty harrowing. There and there were some some again forehead slapping moments of like you know leave, don't leave the wheel. Of course she's going to leave the wheel. Of course she's going to leave the wheel um you know the the whole cross of the assassination bit was just puzzling i i just i did not understand why suddenly the jealousy had been had so haunted her that she was moved possessed to pull the rope and knock you know hurley overboard that is uh, silly um but the threat that the water posed especially when when sean penn was was in the water um you know, as he's out in that, there was there's like this weird, tumultuous, like maw of foaming, frothing water out just just out uh, outside of of the the range of the rope and the rescue buoy. Um, I thought that was really threatening, and I think it looked good, and it was it was shot well, and the storm worked for me. So you know, in in that regard, there was some legitimate threat. Yeah, we we can't not mentioned that speaking of things that aren't surprises they took the brooding poet sean penn and drowned him like speaking of things you 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 didn't have to see the movie to know that brooding poet sean penn would end up in the in the drink (laughs) well and and that was something that just like for me it made no sense right like like he like (laughs) like uh adeline gets knocked into the water and he goes diving after her and his brother throws the uh, lifesaver and and Sean Penn grabs it and swims to her so that he can save her but then what he lets go of it so that she can get right. saved it's like right. what just hold right. on to it also like you right. both can hold on to it why do you let go you're in water he can smiling Josh Lucas can pull you both to the boat he really can he's he's hunky and strong and that smile carries a lot of the weight of water. So much smiling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there, I mean, I will say the way that the water, you know, I, I don't know, there's a parallel with kind of the the turbulence of the water that pairs with the emotional turbulence in the film. So, you know, there are things like that that I, I like how how Bigelow kind of finds that and develops that all that water at the end and i mean that all works nicely i also like as going back to the kind of the cinematography but like all of the the shots of the things that are falling under the water just kind of like you get through the title sequence and then periodically as as gene is dreaming like the letters underwater or a a floating dress underwater like there's some beautiful Mm -hmm. photography throughout and even when sean penn's under or or um when gene is under and she sees the people like the way that that plays under there is really nice. Like there is some nice, um, just beautifully crafted and lit moments. It's just unfortunate that the movie around it isn't that great, but it's, I mean, it does look good. 
Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. It looks good and it lives up to to Biddle's, uh, you know, experience behind the camera and all the the wonderful movies that he's done. And and he has done other movies that don't live up to his skill <laughs> behind the camera. This is not the only one. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, we, we lost him in 2005. The last film that he did was V for Vendetta. Oh, interesting. Uh, so speaking of an interesting looking film. You know, and speaking of the look of the film, and this is something I think that, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know if we talk about too much in Bigelow's films, but I mean, you know, she she works really well with her production design team. And, you know, her production designer for this film was Carl, I don't know how I'm going to say it, Juliusen, Juliusen, it's like a double accented name. Um, mm-hmm. I, I felt like when we were back in time, uh, you know, the actors I, I sometimes struggled with, but just like the look of the town, the things in the houses, uh, other, you know, I mean, for the most part, like it just felt old world. And so, like, I don't know, I, just, I really enjoyed seeing those things. And and I like the way that that was crafted, like when you see Marin and her sisters just doing like the housework and everything else, I'm just like, it feels like it felt like real, like I enjoyed those elements in it, you know? Yeah, yeah, I can I can agree with that. I, I agree with that. Like, I just think I think the problem that I have is with the, the back in time stuff is twofold. First, I've already expressed I don't like it in this movie. Second, I this is not my favorite kind of of period exploration, right? Like, I don't I don't love this this part in history, Scandinavian history, like it it just doesn't it's not it's not good for me. It takes a big I can't think of a single movie that takes place in in this period that I don't struggle to maintain attention. Yeah, you you really struggled with the emigrants, didn't you? I did. I continue I am still actively struggling with the emigrants. I think it's still <laughs> playing somewhere in my house. Uh, so, so I struggle with it already. To that end, I, I think, you know, for, for giving us the, you know, celebrating the period of smutty nose, uh, everyone's favorite destination on the way to New Hampshire. Um, I, I think that it's, it's fine. It's fine. My favorite part of the production design was the puppy. That puppy was adorable. And I think they actually aged the puppy between cuts to demonstrate the passing of time that it takes her sister to arrive by ship. Um, which I thought was a really, that was a really nice nod. I'm looking at that dog. I'm saying that dog just aged. Nice job, movie. Really great job, movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it is an interesting thing. And, you know, I mean, I I didn't realize this, but, um, somebody has pointed out that there is this unofficial water trilogy with Catherine Bigelow, um, point break this film and K-19 Widowmaker. And I guess I'd have to look at that a little bit more, but it's all about water. The whole idea as a, you know, this article I found water as a symbol motif and space. Um, I mean, I think there's something interesting with that. I guess I'd really have to look at those three films and think about it more. Um, Cause I don't know, I guess I didn't think of that as any form of a connection. And honestly, I, I, I can't think I can't remember much about K-19 Widowmaker, so I'd have to just watch that movie again to really figure that one out. But it, it is interesting, though, that you think about that. It, like, there is something with Bigelow and these stories about water and, um, I don't know, just people 
living in it and surviving as they hang out in it and stuff. I don't know. Did you get anything about that? that check me. Well, check me on this. Uh, obviously, I, I think this is actually a piece that I struggle with, is that I didn't see... <laughs> God, she's, she's absolutely tricked us. Because all I want to say is, I didn't see the weight of the water impact the two parts of the story equally. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Because it seems to impact the second story more than the story in 1873. Yes. And, and I feel like what the movie was trying to do in terms of building a parallel structure and titling the movie the way it does, I would expect water to play a larger role than just setting in both parts. And in the 1873 part of the film, water is just a setting. Uh, it's not even it's so much. It's just they're surrounded they, by they it. Just, I mean, it's yeah, it's a background. It's like uh, it, they're on an island. So water is also present. Yeah. Right. Like there is no there there is no connection to water beyond the fact that there are boats on it. And sometimes they're on the boats and they use boats to do transition cuts to uh, across time. Yeah. Marin water never is gets a, on a boat. Marin is never no, on she never boat. gets on a boat. No, she's never on a boat. She sends people off on boats. She welcomes people from boats. Yeah, Lewis doesn't even go on a boat. I mean, he comes to their land, and then he has, uh, what does he have? Um, some illness, and he can't get out of bed. And so she basically has to take care of him. <laughs> it's just like... Rheuma rheumatism? That was the best come on ever. I immediately, my wife was not around, but I immediately noted in my come on journal, uh, my rheumatism requires that you uh, massage my joints. Would that be okay with you? <laughs> my come on journal now has exactly one line in it. I can't wait to try it. Well, I, I guarantee you're going to be crossing that one out right, right as soon as you've tried it. So much for that come on journal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyhow, there are boats. Uh, I, I I thought he did like the the last one that where where the men said we're just going out for our short for our chores. Well, you're never going to beat this wind. And then they were on a boat. And then suddenly she said, "Well, they're never going to beat the wind. They'll be stranded wherever they end up." I thought he was on the boat with them. No, he wasn't. Obviously, that was that was the brother, the brother, and, and her, her husband. husband. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't think he was ever on a boat. No, because he had room. He was like in bed the whole time. He had rheumatism. Like, like I don't right, know. What, right. Well, because didn't he get a job or something? Because he was like, that was the whole thing. Because you know he wasn't there when she you know turns into a, you know Bloody Mary and starts hatcheting everybody. <laughs> um, I don't actually remember where he was. I, I think that, but he couldn't have been at work because then people said, "Oh no, he was with me." I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, I, I'm it's looking crazy. at the actual story. So so. This is an actual story. March 6, 1873, uh, Karen and Annette uh, Christensen were well, were strangled, and one was struck with a hatchet. Marin had escaped and hid in a place that's now called Marin's Rock. Um, and she said that Louis Wagner was the killer. He was tried, convicted, and hanged. Uh, what's interesting, and they didn't depict in the film, is that uh, he fled the island. And he was hunted down. He was arrested in Boston, extradited, extradited back to Portsmouth. And then 10,000 angry townspeople waited for him at the train station and shouted him all the way to the police station, chanting, lynch him, kill him. Wow. 
wait a minute. Wait a minute. You j- are you telling me that the town of Smutty Nose has 10,000 people in it? No, this was in Portsmouth where he was tried. Oh. Yeah. Oh, thank goodness. There, I, I don't missed think, that. Part. I don't think Smutty Nose Island <laughs> could <laughs> even hold yeah, 10,000 no. people. <laughs> um, no. And then once he was once he was convicted and put in jail, he was brought to Alfred, Maine. No, sorry. He was brought to Alfred, Maine for trial. After he was condemned to death, he actually broke out of jail, escaped to As New Hampshire, and then was recaptured and brought to the gallows uh, where he was hanged. Like, I feel like there's so much more interesting stuff with him and his story. And this is a person who has rheumatism and is lying in bed. Oh, my joints. Come massage my yeah. joints. Like, really? It sounds like you can do quite a bit, actually. Uh, anyway. See, this is a perspective thing. We just fixed the movie. You can get rid of the jumping back and forth thing. Or maybe if you really have to have the jumping back and, and, and forth thing. You know, you really uh, uh, feel like you have to have Catherine McCormick. You know, she's already signed on the line. You bookend the story and have her doing her little research in the beginning and have her have learn her lessons at the end. Fine. It, uh, it's not great, but then it's we there. Got a and then, bookend. But then tell the story of this guy yeah. and his journey. Right. Tell the tell the Jean Valjean story. Right. That's what I want. Uh, I I, I want to know about the wrongly convicted and his efforts to free himself that ultimately end in sorrow and death. And this story was bonkers and it never tied together. How did you feel about uh, Josh Lucas and um, Sean Penn as brothers? Did you buy it? Yeah, I I, th- I didn't have any issue with them. Like, I, I, I actually enjoyed the cast in general across the board. I just didn't think they were given anything good to work with. But I mean, I thought they they played kind of the brother angle well, like I enjoyed their kind yeah. of playfulness and everything. Uh, you know, gosh, I just like the, I guess the only person I struggled with in the casting was Elizabeth Hurley because she's just I mean, she's gorgeous. And but then when she's all of a sudden like reciting his poetry back to him and stuff, I'm like, hmm, I don't know if I'm buying this, like especially like while she's laying there, you know, sunbathing topless. <laughs> it's just like, oh, God. Is this, I, I don't know if I'm buying this anymore, you know, it's, it's just like, it went all weird. And, and I'm like, she's, I, I just can't buy her as this person who's like, so taken by his poetry. Um, like I, I struggled with some of those elements. Oh God, you're right. She was such a fangirl over his poetry. Not in a million years. Did I buy that angle? I, I, I found it difficult to buy that. He was a poet. Like what a, what a silly, profession to give him in this context of this boat just made it just brought the whole mood of the the present tense of the movie to a screeching halt every time they cut back after about you know the halfway point of the film especially especially their conversation so the uh, uh Catherine McCormick and Elizabeth Hurley have this conversation in the below decks uh and McCormick is so moved to jealousy that she has to out her husband, Sean Penn, as having killed a girl. You know, he killed a girl. Why? Where did that conversation even come from? Nonsense. Did not believe it one single bit that that is her motive, that that she was so swollen with jealousy and rage seething under the surface that she she felt like she needed to have that conversation. Just there are no paths that led to that table for me. But again, it just goes to like, and I, I'd really have to read the book to figure out, like, did the book make more sense? 
Because as the film, like as we're jumping back and forth in time between these these two storylines, I'm just like, I just don't like where's the I, I mean, I get that there's kind of this emotional connection between people having difficult times with their relationships. But I just I, I, I didn't feel like there was a lot of logic in in the connections. And when Gene was having like the dreams and having these moments and stuff. It's just like, uh, how is that making sense in the way that we're finding this, the connection and building these two stories successfully so that when we get to that climax where both stories are climaxing at the same time, like I'm right there with kind of the way that it's unfolding. Like it just, it never does any of that. And it was, it was frustrating from the get go. Yeah, it was. It was a tough watch. It was a tough watch. Ay, ay, ay. That's too bad. I got nothing else, man. I got nothing else. Like I said, I, I, I liked the cast. I thought they did a good job. Um, but yeah, there were just a lot of these elements that just didn't play well. Oh, yeah. and also, did you read it where, because uh, I sure did, where her, uh, this in the, the story in the past, where Marin's husband and her brother like as the trial was going on and she was saying that, oh yes, uh, Wagner is the one who did all of this. As all of that is coming out, it really makes it seem like her brother and her husband completely knew that she's the one who did it, but they weren't going to say anything. Uh, but the way that their faces looked like we would keep cutting to shots of them during the trial and stuff. It just felt like our, our, like, are they really implying that these two men know that she did it, but they're just going to let it go because, because I don't know, because it's their wife slash sister, because it's a woman. Yeah, like, because I, that's the island, the island culture, like uh, that protect the island kind of a thing. Like, it's the same thing that, that like as she as as it's cut together, the, as he is being hanged, she is in the uh, office saying, you know, we need to. Oh, that's right. She admits uh, it. I, I need to tell you the truth. Yeah. She admits the whole thing. And they just, they bury it. And and that is, you know. Yeah, we're they're gonna, like, oh, yeah, we gotta. Yeah. 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 They're, nod, they're, nod, wink, wink. Yeah, we can't, we can't let this out. We're going to have to just hide this away. And that was yeah. a strange element also, because it really makes it seem like, <laughs> which makes no sense, the gene of all people, this magazine photographer working on a photo essay is the one person who stumbles across this evidence after it's been sitting there for <laughs> over a century, but she's the first person to look at it. And she finds one. it and and has all the puzzle pieces. And then, of course, the storm happens and all of the evidence gets washed away with, with uh, the storm. Yeah. I, was, I mean, is that how it happened? Because I know she, she's like, know. oh, this is the, this is the, because they're like, this looks like the original. Oh, yeah, I kind of borrowed it from them. You know, like she goes through that whole thing, which I'm just like, that seems odd. Uh, like ah, that whole yes. thing, it makes me angry. Like the more I think about it, like that, that whole thing is so stupid. It's like she takes the originals out onto the boat. The wind is blowing them around. They're all trying to rescue them. And then the storm destroys it all anyway. But that's the actual evidence. Like the whole thing. It's just like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> And nobody has looked at this in over a hundred years. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's just ridiculous. That really it's just ridiculous. Oh, just yeah. makes me mad now the more I think about that. It, 
It does. It does. And it, uh, so, you know, all of this is somehow fueling, again, don't get me started on what they did to Catherine McCormick's character and her seething jealousy that that is supposedly roils up from beneath as a result of the weight of the water and the weight of history uh, as she is somehow spiritually connected to m- murderous Marin um, and uh, leading to, of course, the tawdry almost sex scene in the library, which I thought was so dumb. Yeah. Again, a, a totally unearned uh, a, a opportunity for uh, Sean Penn to be upset because he isn't getting any in the library. <laughs> like so brooding. <laughs> it, just, it, it was just, yeah, I feel like this movie has it quickly become a punchline. It's, it's unfortunate. It, well, it's frustrating. And, you know, and again, we should say movies are hard. Movies are so hard. I get, absolutely get it. And I want that out there. And also, again, can't go without saying I've done stuff that isn't great either. So it's, it's OK <laughs> to have some stinkers in our catalog. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> the, okay. um, and it's frustrating because, you know, Catherine Bigelow is a director that we really love, you know. And I mean, I even went back and rewatched Strange Days uh, because, you know, we were pretty brutal on when we did our show about that movie. And I rewatched it and I found, you know, I'm like, why am I being so hard in this movie? It actually is a really enjoyable movie. And so I, 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 I brought my ranking of that one back up. And I mean, there are still a few movies left that we haven't talked about. Like, I think we still need to track down The Loveless, Blue Steel, and K-19. And then I think we will have kind of completed all of the films that she's directed um, on the podcast. And uh, and largely, I really enjoy her work. Like, I find that she does a lot of really fun stuff. So it's it's interesting. And I, again, I would love to know, like, is this just a director for hire job that they kind of gave to her? Is this a passion project of hers where she found this book and is just like, I absolutely have to make tell this story? Like, what was the story behind her connecting with this and bringing it to the screen? Because it, it's, it it's a bit of a surprise to me that this is kind of what we ended up getting here. It really is. So, okay. All right. That's the movie. All right. Well, we uh, will be right back. But first, our credits. The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Ancori and Ramon. Oriol Novella and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at the-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. You know, Pete, I didn't didn't tell you, or we didn't mention this earlier, and... I, I haven't researched it to be able to verify it uh, as an actual fact, but uh, especially because this comes from IMDb trivia, which is, you know, a step below Wikipedia, which is, you know, <laughs> a step below actual research. Um, uh, but somebody did point this out. This story is apparently the reason that there is no death penalty in the state of Maine, because after the execution, they realized, oh, you know, the other woman could have actually been the killer. And so... Apparently, that's that's the thing. <laughs> oh my God. But it's a story, not the movie.
Right. No, it, no, it the actual been, murder. The uh, actual whole, 1873, not the yeah. movie. Yeah, the movie didn't come out and go, yeah. holy cow. Oh, if my we had this gosh, wrong we got to get time. rid of death penalty. <laughs> Thank you, K. Biggs. <laughs> All right. Did we uh, did we have any awards? Surprisingly, yes. The movie did have one win, one other nomination at the Film by the Sea International Film Festival. Catherine Bigelow won the Film and Literature Award. I don't even know who she was nominated against, but uh, but there you go. Uh, win one for the team, I guess, there. And then at the San Sebastian International Film Festival, Catherine Bigelow was nominated for the Golden Seashell, but she lost to the film The Ruination of Men. All right. Not festivals that you hear about too much. Nope. 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 It is not. Um, How about at the box office? Did she make any money? You know, this uh, was not a good one for Bigelow. The film cost $16 million to make, which is $22.7 million in today's dollars. The movie premiered at at uh, Toronto International Film Festival September 9th, 2000, but it actually didn't get released theatrically until July 31st, 2002. That was over in France, and then November 1st, 2002, domestically, opposite I Spy and The Santa Claus 2. The film did no business anywhere, opening in 58th place here and only earning 109000 domestically and 212000 internationally for a total gross of 456000 in today's dollars. That lands the film with an adjusted loss per finished minute of $197,000. Not a good spot on our chart for Bigelow. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's that, a, that would hurt. Yeah, that's, a, that's a loss. And then to follow that up with The Widowmaker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but was it a moneymaker? That's the thing. <laughs> That's the, that, that is the question. Yes. That's the question. All right. We, do you remember what you saw that weekend? It wasn't any of those three films. <laughs> it wasn't It wasn't that hit. I didn't see uh, I Spy. Uh, I didn't see The Santa Claus. Uh, Owen Wilson, Eddie Murphy. Owen Wilson. There's, there is something in <laughs> Owen Wilson that Owen Wilson and Josh Lucas were in uh, movies opposite one another. I find some subversively satisfying because i kind of can see them as the same person <laughs> that's interesting right an alternate like owen wilson is alternate universe that Josh is Lucas. too funny i you know yeah. i'm trying to think like what else um what i would have seen um i it, it had to be something that had come out before or after like uh jonathan demi's the truth about charlie came out the weekend before i know i saw that in the theater frida i saw in the theater um, yeah. the ring uh, remake i saw that in the theater mm-hmm. um after this um femme fatale brian de palma's film i saw eight mile mm-hmm. far from heaven uh harry potter and the chamber of secrets so i mean there were a lot of films really what you're saying is you saw all the movies i saw before you would have even begun everything. to see this one <laughs> die another day yeah there, there were yeah. a lot of films uh that came out in this window um that i would have seen instead of this one because i wow. i remember seeing the trailer and the trailer just did nothing for me. Yeah. Well, now we know why. Now we know why. What What excites me about uh, what comes next, Andy, is that I feel like I'm going to let the cat out of the bag here. I feel like we're going to we're going to toss to the trailer for next week's movie right now. And I'm calling it the next real journalism series apology tour film. <laughs> because it's a film about journalists. <laughs> it's a film that's actually about journalists. And I'm going to go ahead and give you your answer for this segment next week. 
I enjoyed the hell out of it. Well, we're going to talk about it next week because there's there's something to be said about that film also about not actually following journalists getting stories. Like, that's not what that <laughs> film is about. So it's an interesting... It's not about them being good at it at all. The only... Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting series that we've done because the journalists like the, I, I don't know i think if we went back to salvador oliver in our oliver stone series that might be a film that would fit in this series better than any of the films that we're talking about <laughs> yes you're right you're right that's that's accurate anyway here's right. the trailer here's the trailer for yep. between the lines is this going to take long i have a meeting in five minutes i'll get down to specific figures then specific figures for what for what for my raise I wouldn't accept his first offer because he wouldn't go for the paid vacation. You have a story for me this week? Have I ever missed the deadline? Constantly. And you've been picking up a paycheck for years, you don't do a damn thing. You don't think that's work? Let me tell you what I got for you. How did you get into stripping? The questions you were asking. This isn't exactly Watergate, you know. We're gonna fight. Can I at least get dressed? I have an important announcement to make. You're gonna do it. You're gonna sell the paper. Hey, you really gonna quit the main line? Why stick around? Okay, why does anybody get up in the morning? You don't. I, don't. I think we should get rid of it. That's insane. The whole office is gonna get up and walk out. Roy Walsh buys this paper. I'm walking. Me too. Me too. Me too. Well, that's that. We had some good times here, didn't we? Who really shook things up? Everybody in the unemployment line. I had you going there for, for a second, didn't I? All right, Andy, it's letterbox time. Letterbox time! Oh, dear. Okay. Well, we didn't like the movie very much. How far down does that put you? Uh, I, uh, this is one of those films where it's like, do I just, do I rate it on, um, just my general, uh, displeasure with everything in it? Or do I say, you know what, the production design, the casting, like there were elements that worked. Um, I, I, I think when I do my ratings, usually it's, it's, it's not just because of those particular elements. It's kind of the whole thing as, as a single entity. And because the story was just such a misfire across the board, I, <laughs> I gosh, <laughs> do I want to go to like the, the lowest and give it a half star? Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. I, if I, you land there, I would not have seen that coming. That is, that would be a surprise. Well, okay. Um, I'll give it one. I'm going to give it one star. Because wow. I did enjoy some of the elements in the film. I didn't, I wasn't bored. It wasn't a boring mm -hmm. movie at all. Like it was actually yes, it, yes, entertaining it was. in a it was pretty boring. terrible way. Um, it was, <laughs> you know, that, that might be our most violent disagreement in this conversation. It was a boring movie. It was a boring, no, see, I wasn't boring. Bored. Most of it was a boring movie. That's interesting because even in those moments where, like, I knew everything. Like, the story was just so obvious. Like, nothing was a surprise yeah. in this movie. I still was just like, it's it's kind of like, you know, watching something burn. And so, I don't know. I, I found it to be interesting in, in that sort of way. 
It's like it's like somebody putting a golf ball on a lathe. Like you're just waiting for it to explode. Yeah. I I feel like uh I have used words like wooden and cardboard and <laughs> lifeless in this conversation. I cannot, I cannot in good conscience end this in my catalog as uh, on the record as anything above a half star. I just, that's, the, I'm the one who's supposed to be the curmudgeon. You are the spirit of love and innocence on this show. And uh, so I think I have to end up below you. I have no, no, to, no. it's my okay. duty. No, no, I'm not going to let you. I'm going to go to half star because that's where I originally wanted to go. And you made me feel guilty about it. And so my I gave notes, it an extra I was half star. already a half star. I was already, it was in my notes. It was a half star. Before I was a half star too. You and even you started guilted talking. me into bringing it up. I'm not bringing was, it up for this movie. I'm back to a half star. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fine. Half star it is. That's where uh, we But sit. are you going to give it a heart? <laughs> Oh, oh man one of All the right. most delicious uh letterboxed tools is that heart especially in conversations like this because you know yeah. uh no people under people un- underplay the heart people underestimate the power of the heart i think <laughs> they do yes yeah. they do All yes right. they do what did you think about we want to know hop into the show talk channel on discord and we'll be talking about this movie this week i can't wait for your stories about how you tracked it down very much looking forward to that um all right well when the movie ends our conversation begins letterboxd giveth andrew as letterboxd always doeth i i started looking for five-star reviews I tried, and there aren't any. <laughs> so we ended up, what did we end up with? Uh, we ended up with the good, uh, a weirdly two-star review by David Sims. And this one's dated the 22nd of September, 2017. David says, two stars. Why you do this, Catherine? <laughs> Which is good. But it's, it's actually the setup. For another review. That's right. It's the pay. Uh, the payoff is right here by Emma Stefanski, who has this to say: David Sims owes me two ninety nine. Oh God! I wish this had cost me only two ninety nine. In time alone, this movie cost me hundreds of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> this is Cody Cody Lunsford, uh, one and a half stars. This movie is actually impossible to pay attention to. Cody actually reflects my experience entirely uh, in this one. It is, it is rough. Yeah. It is rough. All right. It's a rough one. Well, thanks, Letterbox. You know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been like decades. I would much rather use Kindle, or better yet, Audible. What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I am an audiobook guy all the way. For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we talk about here on The Next Reel, get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. It's the way to go. Okay, we are going to play a little game. 
I'm going to name a series from season 11, and you try to guess how many movies from it were adaptations. Oh, our big 10th anniversary season featuring all female directors. Let's do this. All right, here we go. Horror debuts. I'm already stumped. Oh, wait, uh, The Lure. Wasn't that based on The Little Mermaid? It was. Nice. Very loosely, at least. Um, how about 10th anniversaries? Hmm. That's a tough one. So 2011 films. Uh, we need to talk about Kevin. Yep. That was it. Spike Lee's member bonus. Another biopic. Malcolm X. Nice. We have covered a lot of great movies that started as books, plays, even comics. Sources like Awakenings, Wild at Heart, The Virgin Suicides. Queen of Katwe or Clueless. So many great movies from so many great sources, and they're all on Audible. Producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time. We've dropped the dynamically inserted ads because they're so annoying and have no connection to our content. Plus, they just jam those things in wherever they see fit. We listened to you when you said you didn't like them. So now we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support The Next Reel and our family of podcasts. I have been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I have read hundreds of books through it. I couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out, and you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free 30-day trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible.